So I think it's great for parents and just for people to learn how to communicate with people from different cultures. It's not about be staying in silos and making sure that you do this by yourself. It's really about diversifying perspective. And I think that's a really good way for for anyone to to gain a better understanding of themselves, especially, <laughs> and, and other people, you know, when they put themselves in, in uncomfortable situations and around people who they don't necessarily understand and know. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Homesickness Cure podcast. Whether you're an immigrant in a new country or feel like the culture in your parents' house is a universe away from what's outside their front door, we can all agree on something. Creating a life you like in a place that doesn't feel like home is really hard. If you're struggling to find yourself while navigating two cultures, pour yourself a cup of tea, dear. I think you like it here. I'm your host, Anya Sharice, CEO and founder of Navigating Culture. And I'm on a mission to help immigrants learn how to self-validate, remove self-doubt, and achieve their dreams by redefining archaic ideas of success. Pop in your earbuds and get ready to take notes as I talk to immigrant and first-gen guests and even share some of my own advice on how you can start living life on your own terms. Not your parents, not your friends, and not your nosy aunties and uncles. We'll be talking about finance, mental health, finding your purpose when it goes against the norm, fitting in and belonging, and a whole lot more. Leaning off the edge of your seat yet? Well, then let's get started. Hi, everyone. I can't wait for you to meet Topaz Smith, the founder and CEO of Ennoble, a tech company focused on travel, equity, and authentic cultural emergence. Topaz is a first-gen immigrant by way of Jamaican heritage, and she grew up in the Bronx, a traditional haven for immigrants and a borough rich in cultural diversity. Today, Topaz is going to talk to us about the intricacies of creating community when you have to fit in everywhere, but don't necessarily feel like you entirely belong to any particular cultural pocket. As she tells it, from a very young age, she navigated several different communities, the strict home of her Jamaican parents, her Black Bronx neighborhood, the very white private schools of neighboring districts, and even the little pockets of West Indian families her parents befriended. Basically, Topaz had to become a master of understanding people and creating community wherever she went. I think Topaz's story will sound so familiar to all of us, as it basically explores the question, who am I when I must navigate what feels like the world? She, however, tells her story so much better than I ever could, so I'll let her tell it now. Hi, Topaz. Thanks for joining me today. Hi. Thank you for inviting me on your podcast. I'm really grateful and excited to be here. Well, we're so glad to have you. Before we really get into it, can you share more about your story through the lens of the immigrant experience with me? Sure. My story starts out, as you mentioned, with Jamaican immigrants' parents and being a first-gen, you know, growing up in the Bronx and, and attending predominantly white schools in Westchester, New York. It allowed me to to be exposed to so many different cultures, which I'm grateful for, and which has pushed me to you know create my business that focuses on cultural immersion. Going to my my school, especially, I was exposed to different cultures, specifically English, Welsh, 
Portuguese, Spanish, Japanese, Brazilian, Italian, South African. Each year for the school, we, we went to a different country. We learned the different languages and we studied the history and cultures. And so we were really immersed. I was exposed at a very young age, you know, at 14 years old, I was like laid out on the Algarve in South Portugal while my friends were like doing regions in New York City. So I really got an opportunity to learn about cross-cultural communication skills in a way that, you know, sometimes my colleagues didn't necessarily have those opportunities. And so I'm grateful for that. Yeah, amazing. Thanks for sharing that with us. So one of the things that really struck out to me is that you said you grew up in a Jamaican household, which feels very familiar to me. I grew up in Trinidad. I am an immigrant to the States. And I know from other friends who have grown up in West Indian households, it feels like a very different experience, especially if you were born and raised or if you moved at a young age to to the U.S. So I really am curious to get your perspective. How do you feel that growing up in a Jamaican household in the Bronx affected and still affects how you move through the world? You know, it was really an interesting experience growing up with Jamaican parents as well as Christian parents, very religious. And there were a lot of guidelines, a lot of strict rules. And I'm not saying that you know, that hasn't helped me in my adult life, but it didn't have to be so strict. But the lack of understanding sometimes in terms of being able to communicate about emotions, that wasn't something that I learned in my household. I learned that outside of my household. And so the communication aspect was, it was different inside my house and outside my house. So there's certain things that I was open and able to say outside my house instead of inside my house. Learning just the nuances of learning how to communicate, that is challenging. If you're not able to express certain things to your parents and then you can only express it on the outside, it forms closer relationships with people on the outside. And I think that is something that I wish we could have worked on a little bit more inside my house. I think also just understanding certain vernaculars that are used inside the house versus outside the house. I kind of just go outside to my predominantly white community and start chatting Jamaican patwa, right? So there was a lot of knowing how to say this at this time, knowing when not to say something. And even just growing up around my church friends, who I think played a large part in my life at an early age, that would be more of like the African-American crew or the first gen West Indian crew that's trying to figure out also how to assimilate into the African-American culture. So th- there were so many different nuances, so many different cultural skills that I had to learn and be able to n- know what to say, when to say, and, and how to communicate with, with whom. Wow. Yeah, I definitely can empathize with not having your emotional intelligence understood at home. I feel like that's very, very true for a lot of immigrants. I was talking to a friend a couple of days ago. Her dad is American, but her mom is from another country. And she often talks about the fact that she just feels like she needs to seek out her emotional comfort or emotional depth with her friends or people outside the home because she doesn't always get it within her immediate family unit. So I definitely feel like that is something that rings true for a lot of immigrants and a lot of first gen. So thanks so much for sharing that. 
In terms of why that's so, I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, how parents were raised, right? I was able to find out that my great-grandfather was the son of a slave in Jamaica. And so, I mean, that definitely had major effects on the way in which my grandfather learned child raising. There's no emotional intelligence when dealing with someone who's the son of a slave. You know, there's so much trauma. So I think a lot of that bleeds through generations, unfortunately, until you're able to say, you know what, this has to stop now and I'm going to take control of of how I deal with emotions and how I communicate. Yeah, I'm actually really glad you brought that up. I've been having a lot of conversations with therapists who specifically focus on helping immigrants with mental health. And of course, not every immigrant has that history of slavery, but we tend to forget how trauma can be passed on through generations. And if we don't address it, like you were talking about, we tend to pass it on to our children and our children's children. So I think it's really great that you brought that up. And you talk about not just trauma in one generation, but literally how if that's not addressed and if you don't have the tools or the resources to address it, because I think that's also really important and something that people don't always talk about, it can affect people you don't necessarily want it to affect. So I I think it's great that you brought up that clarification. So one thing that you said that's really interesting is that you went to these very white private schools. And as somebody who did not grow up in the States and did not grow up around a lot of people who were white, this is something I've really noticed. A lot of successful people who are black in the U.S. have grown up in white spaces. Like if you talk to them, they'll say they went to really white schools or they went to really white neighborhoods. A lot of their friends were white. And so for me, from my understanding, it feels like there's almost like a a double identity and having this understanding of how to be or how to act when you're navigating white spaces. So can you share more about how growing up or spending a lot of time in your childhood growing up in these white spaces contributed to you creating another version of yourself or the versions of yourself as you grew up? One of the first memories I have of being in a white space is going to the doctor. My mom she was also very adamant that we get the best of the best, right? And so when it came to education, when it came to health, because she, she's a nurse. And so she made sure that my sister and I went to a doctor. They were Jewish doctors in Westchester. And obviously we lived in the Bronx, so that's a 30-minute drive <laughs> at the time. And, you know, I remember us going to that space. And I just knew that there was something different because I was very young. I was about three, but I just remember it being very different from the normal, like where I was all the time. And I remember going to go and play on a slide in the doctor's office. And I was so excited to play on the slide. And this little girl who looked like my age, she was playing on the slide. And I remember her mom telling her to come here when I went to play. I remember that vividly. And, you know, that's one of my first memories of being in a white space. Fast forward to middle school and high school, you know, a lot of what I realized from that experience until then was that being in a white space offered you some opportunities that you couldn't necessarily get if you were entirely in a black space. And obviously that mindset changed, you know, as I learned about HBCUs and Blacks in in powerful spaces. But at that time, it was just like, okay, well, these are certain spaces that I can occupy uh, that can get me opportunities that I can't get where I am. And that was kind of how I saw these white spaces. 
and knowing that having allies in this space or having a deeper understanding of how they communicate, which I knew was different from how I communicated, would help me in the future. And so I think that's one of the reasons why we have so many successful Black people, you know, their parents putting them in these spaces because they need to be able to understand how to communicate with people from different cultures, especially whites who are in power for the most part and hold so much wealth. And so you have to be able to be in a space with someone who is white and be able to navigate it. It's challenging, but once you understand how to do it, you move forward and and you're able to go towards your goals. Not saying that you're dependent on them entirely, but they do occupy spaces that moving forward, you have to be in. So I think it's great for parents and just for people to learn how to communicate with people from different cultures. It's not about be staying in silos and making sure that you do this by yourself. It's really about diversifying perspective. And I think that's a really good way for for anyone to to gain a better understanding of themselves, especially <laughs> and, and other people, you know, when they put themselves in, in uncomfortable situations and around people who they don't necessarily understand and know. Wow. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. Coming from a place where it's majority people of color and those are the people you spend where I spent a lot of my time around. I've never actually heard it described that way before. And so as always, like really interested in the perspective that you add and you shedding light to a different way of thinking. So I feel like in our last conversation, you did mention that there was something really good to come out of you having to navigate all of these cultures. And you having to go to these very white private schools and you being put in a position where you just had to learn how to adjust, right? You had to learn how to, like you were saying before, understand different perspectives and almost in a way learn how to be more multicultural or learn how to develop a language that would allow you to cross chasms and cultures. I'm really interested to know, how did you assert yourself to be comfortable around teachers who weren't necessarily advocating for you in those spaces because they weren't used to somebody like you with your potential? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was tough. You know, when when somebody kind of holds the red pen, it's hard. And during middle school and high school, I only had one Black teacher. And so I think that hampered me in terms of my confidence in my education. And so that was a problem for me. But I think how I was able to move forward and show that I was dedicated to to what I was doing was my passion for just connecting with people from different cultures. Like when it was time to go to Portugal and when it was time to learn the language, you know, there were certain things that I knew I was passionate and dedicated to. And I think the teachers saw that. So like one of my favorite teachers, he was from Portugal and he taught me Portuguese for two years and I ended up getting a hundred average in the class. That was probably one of my most favorite classes and Clearly, you can see that if I got a hundred average, right? And so I think there there was a mix up, right? There were teachers who cared and wanted me to succeed and there were teachers who didn't. And I just learned how to navigate the teachers that didn't and learned how to kind of rely on the teachers that did. 
And I think what it did was come down to a heart issue. And it allowed me to see that there's not only racist white teachers, there's also good white teachers, right? And it just allowed me to see that people have hearts and and some people might not have hearts. (laughs) Well, I feel like that's a really good life lesson, right? For me, what I'm hearing is you have to take the time to understand where someone's coming from. You take the time to observe how they act and how they behave. And then you form relationships with the people who are for you and with the people who are not for you. Maybe it doesn't make sense to spend a lot of time like trying to change their mind if they've already decided who you are. Um, But what it does make sense to do is to figure out who is willing to help you, who is willing to advocate for you and form relationships and alliances with those people. Totally. And and one thing I have to add is it doesn't mean that for the people who are not trying to help you, you're not going to try. Like you're going to do your best, but just know that leaning into the people who want to help you is going to give you a better experience. And it's, I believe it gives you better value. So mm, I like that. I think that's a good life lesson. So one of the things that I think is really interesting about you, which I've mentioned before, is that you spent so much time not just navigating cultures in, in the States where you grew up, like we talked about the little cultural West Indian pockets that you and your family were friends with. We talked about growing up in like a African-American neighborhood and your friends were African-American. We talked about you going to these very private white schools. We talked about you growing up in a household that was like very, very strict and from all of the values are from a different country entirely. And then we also talked about the fact that you were exposed to all these different cultures growing up because you traveled and had teachers from different places. Do you feel like you found yourself now? Um, Do you feel like your identity is intact, for want of a better word now? And how did you go about that process of really finalizing or rediscovering who you are as an adult? Um, I don't know if I found myself because I feel like I'm always learning about myself. I'm always learning how I respond to different people and my culture. And I'm always kind of just having these aha moments. And especially when I put myself in different places in different countries. So that's why I love solo traveling (laughs) because it just, it allows me to just be myself entirely. And I think that's a part of the discovery or rediscovery of who I am. So, you know, backpacking Morocco by myself or just like going to Bali by myself. Like it's just being open to people that I meet, talking to people, learning about their culture, engaging with them, you know, being human and having those genuine exchanges. I feel like those are the times when I really, really get to know me. And I'm like, oh my God, Topaz, that's like you, like you like that. This is a perspective that you can share that's genuinely yours. And I think not a lot of people are able to do that because they're always sidetracked with all these noise from other people and and their opinions and how they feel and what they should do. And I think just being away from all of that and destroying myself in like the midst of everything is probably the most exciting and exhilarating feeling that I could ever have. I think a lot of that started when I was in Rome. Actually, before that, when I was in high school, I used to just go off on tangents when when we used to travel. Like one of my favorite experiences was in Portugal and I just went shopping by myself. I was 14, you know, just walking by myself, you know, at my hotel. So I think it was, it's just that. I love that. I absolutely love that. And I think it it does so much. So I love that you talked about solo travel. (laughs) 
I think it's so important. And I also think too, like sometimes if you're an immigrant or a first gen, like you're so attached to your new country that you're trying to like make it there and you're trying to prove how aligned or how true to this home country that you are that I feel like sometimes a lot of immigrants and first gen don't take the opportunity to travel but as someone who had the opportunity to, to travel by myself for the first time last year I can honestly say that solo travel is a great way like you said to figure out who you are and what you like what you don't like what your values are I really feel like it forces you to sit with yourself and to ask yourself questions because you're not attached to what the group is trying to say or what the group wants to do that week or that hour you know so I absolutely agree I don't know when we'll get to travel in its full realm or scope again but I honestly think especially for immigrants and first gen it's like so important to get outside of what may feel like a comfort zone and continue to explore the world because it's so big Yeah. And one thing I wanted to say about, you know, what you just said in terms of how immigrants burdened when they get to different countries is that both my parents were the first ones to move here from their families. So that was a huge burden because my mom had to send back money to her family and potentially file or, you know, my father had to do the same. And and so it was a burden not only for them, but also for me and my sibling, because we had to always be sharing spaces, right? Somebody came in from Jamaica, they're coming to your house, get used to it. Do we have to send money to Jamaica because something just happened? Or we have to go down because somebody had just died? Or there, there was always kind of this this urgency to connect back to home. And so we also used to go down for summers, like months on end to watch my father plant because he was from the country. And it was just like certain things like that, where we had to take into consideration their immigrant story, right? And, and, And that they felt that they had to do that because their family depended on that. And that's still, you know, certain cases today. So it could get so complicated, but I think it really pays for the immigrant to do the work to understand where they are emotionally and their mental health, because it could really be a burden, not only for them, but but for their immediate family. Hi, it's me, Anya, your host. I'm interrupting the podcast because there is this really cool thing I must tell you about. It's called Beyond Your Parents' Expectations, how to create a life you love in a new country. Here's the deal. I get you. I get why it's hard to imagine anything else for yourself beyond the doctor, lawyer, or CEO title. And I get why you're afraid to write down your big dreams. What if I can't figure it out, you say, that I'll be an even bigger failure? But... What if I told you that there are two strategies you could learn today to help you learn how to self-validate, learn how to stop doubting yourself, and figure out what a successful life looks like for you, not your parents. Want in? Download this free audio training to learn how to build the clarity and confidence you need to start building a life really like today. Go to navigatingculture.co forward slash live your best life. That's navigatingculture.co forward slash live your best life and download your free gift. I'll also drop the link in the show notes to make it easy to copy, paste, and go. I'm so excited for you, and I really hope that this audio is life changing. All right, that's it for me. Let's get back to the podcast. Yeah. 
I think we are circling back to trauma and stress and why it's so important to acknowledge that and get help while at the same time holding space for the fact that 30, 40, 50 years ago, the resources that we have today were not always at our parents' disposal, you know, at our family members' disposal. So you're right, it is like a very complex reflection because on one hand, we see how things could have been better, but on the other hand, we understand how our parents and our families were just doing the best that they could with the resources that they had. So I think this is where we get to talk about Ennoble because you and I have spent a lot of time chatting about all the different places you've been to and how your entire life has just been about navigating cultures and understanding how to relate to people who are different when compared to yourself. So can you talk to me about Ennoble, where the idea came from, what it looks like today and what you hope to do with it? So Ennoble was created because I I couldn't find a diverse travel platform that offered me insight into subcultures and cultural fusions that existed globally. And at the time I had moved to Rome, I was studying there at 19 and I was living with seven other white females who never had any contact with a black person. Like they never had any close quarters. They didn't have any black friends. They never engaged with a black person in in such close proximity. I mean, we're living together. And I already had lived with white people before. So for me, it was just like, okay, I I know this. But for them, it wasn't so. And it was just very interesting that that living situation, it started off very nice, but biases are just a pain. So it happened, we had just gone to dinner. We had a, we call it family dinners. And I would always get attention when I was in Rome. I was always getting attention and I liked it because they said (laughs) uh, the Bronx tale that Italian men liked black women, right? I was like, okay, well, I'm going to find me an Italian and, you know, I'm always getting ciao bella. You know, they're always ortopazia. I mean, I was just like in heaven. I was like, oh, you guys are beautiful and you speak like that. So it was something to get all the attention until... One of the girls who I ended up, you know, being closer to, she told me, it's not funny. And I was like, what are you talking about? And she was just like, I don't like that. They're talking to you. And I was just like, I don't understand what you're saying. They're fine. I'm fine. They're trying to talk to me. And it's just like, no, they think you're a prostitute. And I was like, excuse me? And she said, the directors of the program didn't know how to tell you this. So they told us to tell you. And I was just like, okay, first of all, none of y'all have any Black friends. You have no vocabulary. You don't understand anything about racism. You don't even know how to verbalize, you know, your feelings toward Black people. Now, how are you supposed to tell me something like that? And the directors of the programs were two white females they also avoided me, but that's another conversation. Um, <laughs> clearly, they avoided me because they didn't understand nor have the skills to deal with diverse um, issues. That's something that's very sad. And that also tells you about who is studying abroad. That really dampened me, I'm not going to lie. And, and I just started to do my own thing. And I, I remember going to bars, you know, in Piazza Navona. 
And one of the areas, Campo de Fiori, which is an area in Rome where all the white American students go and hang out at different bars. And I just started realizing, like, I was being avoided. And it was clear. Like, I would be at a bar in the nighttime and nobody would speak to me and they would just speak to my roommates. And I was just like, this is corny. You just told me that I, they think I'm a prostitute. I'm going to do my own thing. I don't need to depend on you guys to navigate Rome. I'm okay. I'm a New Yorker, you know? And so I ended up just doing my own thing. I met this other Black guy who was studying from LA and we just ended up just going out together and hanging out. And I just really redefined my study abroad program. Like, I was just like, this, yeah, what y'all put together, that's not right. And it happened that I needed to get my hair done. And at the time, I was traveling, like, every weekend. So I was going to, like, Germany for Oktoberfest and Croatia and for Riyadh Week. And so I need to look good, right? That's why I was going to be the only Black person there anyway. So I had to look good. <laughs> you know? And I couldn't find a, get, a place to get my hair done. And I was Googling, Googling, Googling. But I mean, who works for Google? So you're not going to find this information online. Who works for a majority of travel agencies and, and travel large tourist companies? White people. So the, the diverse talent isn't there. You're not going to place value on these lives. And even if you're going to place value, you're not embedded in these communities. So you're not going to know this information. And so I couldn't find anything online. And I was like, you know what? Let me go to an Italian hair salon and see what they can do. Oh, my God. I had to run out. And so I jumped on a bus and I was like, the next black person who I see on the bus, I'm getting off with them. So I saw this black girl and I was like, oh, we, I'm getting off with her. So I get off and I'm just like in Italian, like dove, you know, try to put Italian words together to, <laughs> to ask her about my hair, pulling my hair. And she's just like, I speak English. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> I was like, I am so sorry. And then she's like, girl, come here. And she just walks me to a Nigerian Italian salon with a barbershop in a basement where there's a grandma eating fufu. And I was transformed. I was like, this is the middle of Rome. I'm always by Rome, Germany. This is where I get on the bus to go to all these Switzerland. I was just like, what? I couldn't believe it. Because at the time, majority of the classes that I were in, because I took a class of Rome architecture. So we went all over Rome, outside the city walls, learning about Roman architecture. And all the time you would see Black people, they would be like selling fake bags. I'd be like, oh my God. <laughs> because it was like, I was the only Black person in the class and we're walking around Rome and everybody sees that. And I'm just like trying to ignore, you know, not feel shameful, even though I really shouldn't feel shameful because they don't have other options. And that's another conversation. But it was just like, you know, you felt a bit queasy. You know, seeing that an established Nigerian in Rome with a bustling hair salon and barbershop, I was like, yo, this is dope. So then I just started finding out about the Nigerian Italian communities, the Chinese Italian communities, the Ghanaian Italian communities. I was like, so why doesn't anybody know about these places? Like, what? There are all these subcultures that I can tap into. So I started going salsa dancing on Wednesdays and Testaccio. It was just like, I was like in a whole different world. I was like, oh, this is, a, I'm about to reinvent this. You know, and I did just that. I had so much fun and I had a place to get my hair done. <laughs> so, so it was it was beautiful that for me and just going to different different cities and, and countries. I just started to look for those subcultures. I started to look for those silos. And I was like, these places exist worldwide. Like, So why aren't we connecting as black people when we're traveling? There needs to be something that streamlines this. Right. And 
Another thing I noticed, unfortunately, was black etiquette while traveling. There's a lot of black people that I wanted to connect with, even study abroad students who I felt at times wanted to be the only black person in the room. And it was very toxic. You know, I ended up just not even trying sometimes. Like I see another black female and I'm just like, I'm not doing this today. But it's so much internalized racism that going abroad, that toxicity is carried, unfortunately. And it really mars so much more that can happen between black people who are traveling. Because I feel like that's something you celebrate. Like you made it out too, you know? So that was just something sad that I experienced. But I think what made me really happy was just exploring the subcultures of Black spaces in different countries and connecting with people who just saw me as a Black female who was studying abroad. Not a prostitute, not someone who's inferior, but someone who is doing life. And so that definitely impacted a noble, uh, long story, but I want to create this platform for people who want these opportunities for, and it doesn't have to be a Black person. It could be anybody who just wants to learn more about the different perspectives that are in places that get overlooked. So what I do is create itineraries. I create itineraries for four countries for now, um, Cabo Verde, Sao Tome, and Principe, the Netherlands, and Peru. In Cabo Verde, we focus on Afro-Portuguese dance, music, and the culture. In Sao Tome, there's African surfers. There's an experience that Ticholi, which is a type of Afro-Portuguese cult folk, it's a folk dance slash theater show. Then there's Peru, the Afro-Peruvian experience. There's a family called the Balambrosio family that are known to uphold Zapateo, which is an Afro-Peruvian dance. Also, the food, the cuisine is amazing. And so a lot of these cultures are overlooked, unfortunately, by the larger tourism market. And so bringing value to these spaces is what I aim to do. Same thing for the Netherlands with the Afro-Dutch community and the Moroccan community. Moroccan people are Javanese and Papua New Guinea people that that are in the Netherlands and they have a really rough past, but they're there. And there isn't a focus on showcasing how to learn more about these people, even the Afro-Dutch nations that exist. So, so Ennoble aims to do that, but not only internationally, but in cities specifically. And so New York City, I created a 300, over 300 location database that allows you to do a deep dive into a country and a city. So if you wanted to do Thailand for the day, if you wanted to have an experience where there's a cultural fusion between Afro-Peruvian and Japanese-Peruvian people, that could happen. And so it's really focused on just making sure that people are tapping into those nuances in cities specifically that have those spaces already, but just are not mentioned. So one of the reasons why I did that was, obviously, I'm, in, I'm from New York City. There's subcultures everywhere that people don't tap into. But I experienced the Netherlands. I went to Amsterdam. And when I went there, I literally felt like I was in Brooklyn, New York. I was so confused. I was like, what? <laughs> you know, I never knew that there were so many Black people there. And I had an amazing experience where I was on the bus with my two roommates. And this guy saw that we were lost. And he was a Black guy with dreads. And he was with his family on the train. And he was like, sis, you, need, you okay? And I was like, what? <laughs> I was like in such joy. Like, oh my God. 
homie is checking for me. It was just like, he genuinely wanted to make sure I was okay as a black female. That is so incredible. I was like, I want to stay in the Netherlands. <laughs> you know? uh, but it's just situations like that where, you know, I've tapped into those subcultures or had or had certain experiences where I'm just like, we need to tap into this a little bit more. And so the 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 plan is to expand to London and Paris, Rome, and and to help people learn more about communities and also bring money to those communities. So another initiative is one percent of the revenue would go back to build capacity in these communities. So for example, in Peru, the Afro-Peruvian community, they are not included in the modern day census in Peru. So they're almost invisible. And they're so beautiful, their culture. Unfortunately, it's crazy. But putting money into their space can help build out travel products. And that and that's one of the initiatives moving forward that, that Innoble will do. The larger scheme of things, Innoble is really going to showcase cultures, not only Black cultures, but Brown cultures that exist and that can offer a much more genuine experience when going to cities and countries alike. Yes, I love that. I'm so excited for 2022 when I hope we can travel again because I think what you are doing and have done is super important. I remember going to France, specifically Paris last year, and having to actively seek out tour guides who would talk about the Black experience in Paris, which to me is absurd because there's such a diaspora there and has been for I would say the last 50, 60 years. So why are mainstream tours not talking about Josephine Baker? Why are they not talking about James Baldwin when they have a history there and had contributed to the society? So I think, yeah, there's definitely like a one, as you were mentioning before, like the people who are in those industries aren't necessarily focused on the subcultures within those communities. And so they probably aren't learning about those subcultures to begin with. And then I also think there's an assumption that the people who are traveling don't want to know about the Josephine Bakers and the James Baldwin, or even like the regular everyday people who are within those communities, but are adding so much cultural value to the city and to the country on a whole. Mm. Yeah, I I would definitely agree. I mean, navigating Paris is a whole different conversation. (laughs) Um, It's funny because whenever I go to Paris, I get the tube so good. Like I just jump on it and I'm like, oh yeah, I'm going to the first other small, the 14th other small, you know, (laughs) I have a good time, but I feel like a lot of word of mouth in order to navigate the diverse elements of Paris. It's like New York City in terms of the history being diverse. Like, hello, like the, what is that, 1940s? You had black like in large numbers and you still have that. So there's no excuse. (laughs) I agree. I absolutely agree. And I think that's why the work that you're doing is important and I can't wait to support it once we can travel at large again. So just going back and tying back into community, I wanted to just say that I feel for me, My experience, the fact that I moved from Trinidad to Boston and the fact that I also moved from Boston to San Francisco, all of that moving and the different people that I have met really shaped my community today. When I say that, I mean like I don't do this on purpose, but I will be talking to someone like really vibing with them and then I'll ask about their background or their background will come up and I'll find out that they're immigrant or they moved to 
they stayed at a very young age or their parents were immigrants. So I feel like I'm naturally drawn to those people without even realizing that. So I'm curious, what does your immediate close circles look like today? And you can describe that in any way that you want. And do you feel like your past experiences have directly impacted this community makeup? I wouldn't say that I necessarily draw to people who are only multicultural because I have friends who are white Americans who have, you know, an understanding and a love for cultures and for people. One of my close friends, she's a white female from Connecticut. And for some reason, she loves everything that's multicultural. I don't know how, why, (laughs) but she does. And so it's finding the heart in people. Once again, it's finding people who genuinely love to be good people and want to connect in a genuine way and are human. I feel like we've stepped away from being human into this image of a person that's just like, okay, you're on like 12 stilts high in the sky. I'm okay. I don't need to be there. And so I think my community, my community is very diverse and I'm always adding to it because I feel like, you know, once you get into travel, the people that you meet are just so wowing, like just I remember 2019, I was in Bali and I was on the island of Giliti, which is like a small island off the coast of mainland Depensar. And I met this female in the water. She was black. And I was just like, oh, who's she? So I just go up to her and she's like, yeah, I'm a Nubian woman from Egypt. I'm like, what? <laughs> and we're close till today. You know, she had just finished her degree in China and met her MBA. And I was just like, we talked for hours This is somebody who I just met and I feel like so close to them. So I think it's, it's really the heart of people. And I feel like a lot of the people who travel, you know, for extended periods of time, they're just so down to earth and grassrootsy. It's just like, yeah, you just need to be my friend forever. (laughs) I love that. Well, I want to go back to Enoble a bit because you keep on bringing up this theme about open and open-heartedness and how traveling and experiencing different cultures encourages you to be more open to different perspectives and more open to see the true soul of people. So do you have an experience from Ennoble, your company, or can you share with us an example of one person whose perspective was changed as a result of going on one of your excursions from Ennoble? Sure, sure. And that's a video that I could definitely add to the podcast. Yeah, I have a friend. Her name is Cayenne. Well, she became a friend. <laughs> and she was looking for an experience in Asia. She she had seen that I had gone to Bali before. But um, ultimately, she, she was looking for an experience that was so amazing because she was a teacher in New York City and she just wanted a break. And I was like, well you should do Bali. And she was like, you know, I've never been to Asia. And I was like, well, do it. And she was a Jamaican female as well. And so I set her up for Thailand and Bali and she was just in awe. She came back and she was like, what? While she was there, she was just floored. The previous year she had gone to Costa Rica. I don't think she had the best experience. And so she was just like, you know, I really want something that just blows me out of the water. And when she was in Bali, I was obviously in communication with her and connecting her with everybody who I had set up for her. And she was just amazed. She was actually trying to stay in Bali. (laughs) 
she did not want to come back. And her mom was like, no, you need to come back home. But she was just like, Topaz, this has been a life-changing experience. And I love hearing that because that's, that's the purpose of travel. The purpose of travel is not to do what you do at home. It's to do it differently and to learn from it. And that, that's transformational. And that's the point. So that was one experience that I was so grateful that she was able to experience life differently and, and enjoy. That's awesome. I love that. And yes, I'll definitely add that video to the show notes so everybody listening can explore that if they want to. So before we end, Topaz, I wanted to know if you have any questions for me. Well, I mean, being from Trinidad and Tobago, I know that it's, it's sort of diverse there. How was your experience growing up? Yeah, that's a, that's a big one. I think anybody's childhood experience, it's complex. We were colonized. We do have that plantation mentality, which I think we're growing out of a little bit where we see America and Europe as being the thing to achieve to or the standards or the values that we are aspiring towards. And I think that's changing a little bit, but obviously that's a result of the fact that we were colonized, like we used to bow to the queen, like the queen was on our money. So there's that mental issue there where we didn't see the value in ourselves as a nation. I feel like we are growing out of that. And so that was definitely a con, I think, of growing up here. But one thing I do really value about my childhood is that in many, many ways, it is a melting pot in the sense that I grew up learning about Diwali. I went to friends' homes for Diwali. I lit dias, you know. I put on the garara and I put on the, the sari. I went to friends' houses for Eid, you know, and I learned about I had two when I was growing up. Two of my best friends were two Muslim girls. People came over to my house for Christmas. We ate the same food. I grew up eating like curries and so wine. And so I do think like from a young age, like I had this appreciation for multiculturalism because even though all of us are Trinidadian, we obviously come from a ton of different places because of the history of the island. And we brought pieces of ourselves with us and maintained some of that through the ages. And so I don't often see that in the States. I feel like there are tons of different types of people in the States, but there are a lot of them are in like little pockets. And that could just be me not exploring as much as I could have or like not knowing what to explore. But I really, truly value that about my childhood. I feel that even though, you know, there's still issues of classism and colorism and racism in Trinidad, it's not a utopia by any means. I still really treasure the fact that I had access to so many different cultural pockets. And I think it did make me more open to traveling and to putting myself in unsure experiences and going outside of my comfort zone as I grew up. Well, I just want to say, Topaz, this was just the most amazing conversation. I really value your input. I value your perspective. And I really, really value what you're trying to do and what you are doing with a novel. I think it's necessary and extremely important. And so I can't wait to see all of the great things that a novel will accomplish. Well, thank you for having me on the podcast. And I just want to invite your listeners to head over to a noble, www.enoble.com. E-N hyphen N-O-B-L-E. And you can also check us out on social media at E-N dot N-O-B-L-E. We would love to engage with you and potentially see you on the next excursion to Peru, Cabo Verde, the Netherlands, or South Tony. 
amazing and i will also put that in the show notes so that people can find it thank you so much thank you thank you hi everyone thanks so much for listening to this episode tobas was amazing and shared so many good insights about travel community building and just the beauty of new perspectives you know so I wanted to take some time to share some of my insights from Topaz. So I think my number one favorite insight from her is just embrace your story. It probably wasn't easy. You probably had to navigate so many groups and so many cultures and so many different ways of living. You probably had to navigate so many communities and cultures and essentially live outside your comfort zone. But that can teach you so much. It can teach you how to be more open-hearted, how to create the experiences you actually want to have in the future. And it can really, truly teach you the skill of connecting with people anywhere you go. The second insight that I wanted to share is just about travel. I love that Topaz stressed that travel is key. And not just any travel, but again, the travel that forces you outside of your comfort zone. The purpose of travel, according to Topaz, and I agree, is to jump out into the unexpected and see the world through new eyes. So don't see travel as a way to do the things you're used to doing. See it as a way to try new things that you never even think to try in your home country or hometown. And then the last one is figuring out who you are doesn't have to be a one and done action. In fact, you can view finding yourself as a continuous lifelong journey. The more people you meet, the more places you visit, and the more experiences you fully immerse yourself in, is the more you learn about yourself. And I truly believe that the more you discover about yourself, the more you'll be able to authentically express yourself, and the more you'll be able to align with who you really are. That's it for me, dears. Don't forget to check out www.navigatingculture.co forward slash live your best life to download your free gift that will help you take the first step on living a life beyond other people's expectations. See you next time. Bye.